0: I'm Joe Salvaggi, and this is The Hubwonk. The Hubwonk is a podcast of Pioneer Institute, a Boston based think tank focusing on the region's education, transportation, healthcare, and economy. In each episode, we will explore policy challenges and offer ideas on ways to improve the lives of our citizens. We're launching Hubwonk in April 2020. In the midst of the COVID 19 epidemic, healthcare is top of mind for all of us. In this, our first episode, I will be talking with Dr. Andrew Lay, co-founder and chief executive for Buoy Health. Buoy Health is a technology company in Boston, using artificial intelligence to help users self-diagnose symptoms and understand next steps for treatment. To join me in this discussion, I'm pleased to have Pioneer's senior healthcare fellow, Josh Ashimbo. Josh is here to share his perspective on how Buoy Health and its technology are improving healthcare for us all. Welcome to the show, Josh. Thanks so much, Joe, and congratulations on the launch of Hubwonk. Thank you, Josh. I think the podcast is a great way to bring Pioneer's research to a broader audience. Now, as senior healthcare fellow at Pioneer, you must be super busy. Is your attention now entirely devoted to this epidemic?
1: Yeah, you know, what's interesting is uh, years of our work now seem even more relevant than it has in the past. And our research at Pioneer tries to focus on understanding solutions and reforms that really aim to more patient-centered care. And I think right now, as we're going through this pandemic, there's a real focus on removing barriers, and that's why our work is so relevant.
0: I'm glad you mentioned barriers, because I think this episode is going to address uh, if not barriers, a more intelligent front door to our healthcare system. I'm very excited to talk with the founder of Buoy Health. Now in your work, have you been able to look into Buoy Health and its technology?
1: Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm actually really excited for our conversation today with Bowie to learn a little bit more about how it works and how they ended up at the uh, press conference with the governor the other day, because they are part of this revolution of trying to help patients before they even interact with the healthcare system.
0: Yes, I don't want our conversation today to be all about the COVID-19 epidemic, but since we brought it up, um, it is great to see a technology that people sitting at home wondering if they're sick, uh, wondering what the next step should be. uh, They've got some place to go to share their symptoms and understand the next steps. Uh, They don't know, uh, do they belong at the hospital or should they stay home and self-quarantine? There's a lot of questions this application seems to address.
1: Yeah, not only helpful to the patient up front, but also helpful to the healthcare system and providers that we're trying to keep some distance so they can deal with folks that are truly sick.
0: Good. So now I think we've set the table for our listeners. So after the music break, we will be joined by Dr. Andrew Lay, co founder and CEO of Buoy Health. Okay, this is Joe Salvaggi. I'm joined by Josh Harshambo, and we now have our special guest, Dr. Andrew Lay from Buoy Health. Welcome to the show, Andrew.
2: Thanks, Joe. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, I'm very excited to learn more about Buoy Health and its potential for our healthcare system and to address the current pandemic. Uh, but before we get into the technology and all the features of Buoy, tell me a little bit about what brought you to Boston in the first place.
2: Uh, sure. Well, that goes really far back. Uh, I came up here for college. I'm really, originally from Houston. Mm-hmm. Uh, came up for college, went th- through college, went straight to med school. And then when I was in med school, I kind of came up with the idea for Bowie. Uh Took a sabbatical from school three months before graduating and have been kind of working on the company with my co-founders and my team uh, ever since that was back in 2013. So uh, it's been quite a journey. Andrew,
1: I'd love to hear a little bit more about that journey. To, to Tell us a little bit about how the idea came about for Bowie and kind of the process that you all have followed as you've gotten things set up and to, to where you are today.
2: Sure. So I was in my last rotation at MGH um, here in Boston. I was going to go off and be a neurosurgeon. That was my life's dream. And that last rotation, I was in the emergency room and I was seeing all these patients who were Googling their symptoms before going to the ER and based on what they're reading online, they were doing things, uh, you know, almost uh, doing things incorrectly, almost universally. Uh, So, you know, real story at 2 AM, I saw a woman with a jammed finger followed by a man who had an ulcer on his foot. Uh, He had a history of poorly controlled diabetes and the ulcer had become infected and we had to amputate his leg that night. And I still remember, you know, saying to the first woman, Hey you're uh, you're fine you can go home and she pulls out these printouts from the internet telling me why she thought it was broken. And then with the very next person, you know, sir I'm so sorry had you come in 2 days ago we could have you know done something better for your leg. He pulls out these printouts from the internet telling me why he had waited. And then right around then my dad got really sick. He had a mini stroke on his employer's treadmill. He didn't go to the doctor. I found out about it months later and I asked him, you know, like, why didn't you call me for help? And I'm actually uh, one of three kids and my two sisters are all, also both docs. So the, the guy has like infinite access to healthcare. And he said, you know, I, I was worried you guys are working. I was like, oh my God. Okay, fine. Why didn't you Google it to figure out what to do? And he said, you know, I, I don't trust what I'd find on Google. So for me, that was kind of this emotional tipping point. Uh, three months for graduating, I said, you know, there's something broken about healthcare. And that What's broken is the fact that the front door of healthcare is not the emergency room. It's not primary care. It's not even telemedicine. It's really what's happening on these search engines because the core problem is when you get sick, you all of a sudden have to morph into a medical student or a doctor in real time. You got to read all of this content, try to figure out what applies to you and what doesn't, which is really complex because your body's complex, right? And you as an individual are complex. So first, clinically knowing what to do is really hard. So turning into a doctor is not appropriate for people to you know, take on at this, at this moment. But on top of that, because healthcare is so complex, it's also super hard to know, you know which provider to go see if I do need to see a provider, which telemedicine company should I call that's covered by my insurance, you know, what physical therapy benefits am I eligible for? All of those, uh, all of that information isn't readily available for someone. Uh, nor do people remember to get, go to those resources if they are available. And so, what ends up happening is you just like run to the internet. And seventy-two percent of Americans start their healthcare journey on Google, and that leads to a lot of downstream inefficiency. Fifty-six percent of ER visits are non-urgent. Sixty percent of telemedicine visits uh, could have. Actually, not required speaking to a clinician whatsoever. And so we really felt like if you could empower people to make better clinical decisions and better decisions about what individual type of care to get, you could create a ton of efficiency for healthcare in general and better outcomes, a better life, better health for the individual. And uh, just became obsessed with this, and I'm still obsessed with it. And that was back in 2013. And um, so we just set out to, to build something that could fix it. We built this AI um, health assistant that uses thousands of clinical papers to teach the program how to um, reason like a doctor does. And so it's not a hard-coded decision tree, which is kind of how old symptom checkers were always built. The program basically says of the thousands of questions a clinician could ask, Based on all the papers that we've read, statistically, which one is most relevant? It asks the question, the patient answers, and then in real time, thousands of questions get re-ranked, thousands of diagnoses get re-ranked, and the next best question gets asked.
0: So is this an adaptive uh, interaction? The, The artificial intelligence takes each answer and redirects the conversation in a way that a real live doctor would?
2: Exactly. Uh, it's kind of similar to how you know a, uh, a medical student or a physician is thinking about the statistics that they've learned over time. And then using those statistics, like, for instance, if, I, if you know that uh, if you have a fever, it increases the chance that you have a bacterial infection versus a viral one. That was trained in a clinician somehow. Like, where did that knowledge come from? The knowledge came from someone did a research paper at some point and looked at the characteristics of someone who has a bacterial versus a viral infection, that research is out there. And so we spent four years reading thousands of these papers by hand to basically teach this program, the underlying statistics of medicine. And then we released that product in March of 2017. And then with every single user that uses it, that ultimately tells us what they were diagnosed with or where they went. It actually further refines our understanding of different types of people better helps us better understand um, how people describe their symptoms and risk factors and actually enables us to use real machine learning to now improve upon our underlying AI um, and so that's what we've been up to uh, since 2013 and the goal of the company very simply is to be the best way to get better. Um, You know, you're sick, you're scared, you're alone. You have no idea what to do. You have a a company that's building tools that help you make decisions all in your best interest. There are no ads on the product. We're not selling your data to anyone. We're just trying to help you navigate to get you better as fast as possible Mm -hmm. in the most efficient way possible. Anyways, sorry, that was a long answer to your question.
0: No, that's a terrific answer. I uh, I, I love the idea that it, uh, you say you can't make the patient into a doctor on the fly, uh, but with this support, you can. But what I really liked, what I picked up in what you just said is the doctor that they're talking to, the buoy health application is getting smarter with every additional patient. Did I hear that right? That you've, te- you've preloaded uh, the decisions and the experiences of doctors, but also the decision tree adapts as as uh, as new input is, is brought to the to the application,
2: right? And, and Joe, actually, uh, I should specify that we definitely we don't use decision trees.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, and the reason why is that when we when we first looked at symptom checkers that were in the market when we first started, this was back in 2013,
0: mm-hmm.
2: we found that um, people are so different than one another, even though they may have the same diagnosis. So, for instance, Joe, you and I could both have a bronchitis but you might have a cough for five days and no fever, but a sick contact that increases your risk of bronchitis. I might have a cough for seven days, it's phlegmy. I do have a fever, but I don't have a sick contact, yet you and I both have bronchitis. That's hard, but even harder is that because even if you and I had the same exact presentation, same cough, same fever, same sick contact, because I grew up in Texas, and I I don't don't know where you grew up, Joe, but um, let's say it was Boston, we might describe the same thing totally differently. And so creating decision trees become an unscalable solution because you'd basically have to build a tree for Joe for bronchitis and then build a tree for me for bronchitis. But there's too many people and there's too many clinical situations to do that. And so we took a much more statistical approach that was basically a massive graph that helped the program just parse through, okay, all these things I don't know, which one is the best one to pick next. And then to your point, the more people use it, the more data we have, the better we understand the next person, which builds on top of what we initially seeded the program with. So a very clear example of this would be, let's say that in the clinical literature, someone with pneumonia, 90% of the time will have a fever. But in the real world, Let's say that people describe a fever who ultimately were diagnosed with a, with a pneumonia 98% of the time. You all of a sudden can understand that different populations will perceive a fever, which by the way, what's the definition of a fever? It could mean that I have chills. It could mean that I touched my forehead and it felt hot. It could mean that I put a thermometer in my mouth and it was 100.4 or above. Only the, the third one is technically a fever. But you don't know, like per person, per literacy, you know, health literacy rate, per socioeconomic status, how different people might describe that fever and how that relates to pneumonia, unless you actually have millions and millions of people using it, feeding us back information on what was going on, and then being able to now, not customize, but personalize that experience in a AI and ML driven way uh, for the individual. Andrew,
1: I, th- I want to step back. It sounds like there's lots of kind of firepower behind the scenes and really interesting conversation. We want to talk a little bit more about that in this conversation, but it, in this framework of COVID-19 or coronavirus, can you just walk us through how does a patient actually experience this product? Like, What, what is the process for them from when they start interacting with your product to when they end interacting
2: with it? So someone goes onto our website, usually it's on their, on their phone. Uh, So we're a web mobile optimized product. So it's best used like on your browser, on your phone. They then have an experience that looks and feels like you're texting with a physician, except you don't have to type very much at all. You're mostly just answering preceded questions. And it feels like you're literally just chatting with someone, but on like super speed. And after about two or three minutes, we narrow the world of diagnosis. We show you three possible matches. And then if we know who you work for or who your insurance is and you let us know and they happen to be a partner of ours, we can then show you, okay, here's, since it looks like primary care might be the best place to go, here are the primary care providers that are in network for you based on your insurance information, but also based on the time of day. So... If you have the right clinical situation you could wait till tomorrow potentially right so if it's 10 p.m you can't make an appointment today but if it's clinically stable then you could make it tomorrow um if you're clinically unstable then we shouldn't show you primary care then that case we might show you emergency room that's nearby you see what i'm saying and so it's really that end-to-end navigation of sick and then all the way moving into care if care is appropriate I don't want to throw
0: a blanket on the magic of medicine. Uh, This sounds amazing. I'm guessing one does not need to pay to log on and get this doctor in my, uh, you know, it was very, very smart doctor to help me. Um, uh, How does uh, Bowie monetize this powerful tool?
2: Yeah, great question, Joe. When we started the company, we saw this as such a universal and such a human problem that it felt so against our mission to have the end user pay for understanding what's going on with them. And so we kind of took that off the table as, you know, someone paying for like the core use case for buoy transparently, if you take the consumer out, it becomes actually kind of hard to understand in healthcare, especially who's most fit to pay for this product. And initially, we were selling a white-labeled version of Bowie. Uh, So basically, you strip the, the branding, you brand it something else. We were selling a white-labeled version of Buoy to uh, large health systems who were putting it on their homepage to help patients navigate their complex set of doctors. So kind of similar problem that you're solving, you're navigating them all the way to the doctor. What we discovered, though, was that when you started looking at people's behavior when they were using Buoy, we were finding that of people who originally wanted to go to the emergency room after using Buoy, 50% of them decided they wanted to do something less urgent. So we were de-escalating 50% of ER visits, 48% of urgent care, 42% of primary, 6% of telemedicine. So we were saving $174 per use. Now as a hospital or as someone who's really paying the bills by having more people come in, that doesn't really fit with that existing business model. And so we kind of realized that we were in the wrong space and moved over to those who ultimately have to fit uh, foot the bill at the end of the day, who are self-insured employers and insurance companies and governments who are ultimately having to pay for the person's healthcare. And so now they're paying us to then customize and configure the endpoints that are in network for their member or their population such that we can efficiently drive navigation for their, their people um, that's bespoke to that particular employer, government, or insurance entity. And that's yeah. how we did.
1: It's really interesting. I, I think it you know, makes a lot of sense uh, of looking at the payers and speaks to a, a bigger policy conversation about how we pay for healthcare, and who's paying and who's responsible, um, I'd be curious to know, like in this moment in time, you know, the hev- every single headline is around coronavirus. How, it, how has the use of your product been different? What have you learned from people using it in this moment versus how they've used it traditionally? Have, have there been any big lessons that have popped out as you guys have looked at how patients are using it right now?
2: Yeah, um, that's a great question, Josh. And maybe I can take a step back to January when we were looking at what was happening in in China and saying, you know what, coronavirus is gonna come to US and it's going to be just as bad, if not worse, than what happened in China. And so our team sprinted for 11 days, took the CDC guidelines for coronavirus because there's not, at the time, there weren't a lot of statistics around kind of the different symptoms that coronavirus would present with. And also during an epidemic or pandemic, it's not as important whether to discern between coronavirus and the flu. It's more important to help people understand what bucket of risk they're in, depending on like how many people in the in the in their area have coronavirus, what the hospital supply for healthcare looks like during this time. <clears throat> and so we took the CC guidelines and we incorporated them into Buoy. And we we launched that on February 5th. At the time, there were only a handful of cases in the US. So no one was really thinking about it. And then what ended up happening was, over the course of the next month and a half, we were seeing so many people come to Bowie worried about coronavirus or having symptoms of coronavirus. And they were doing it so early on in their healthcare journey that we were seeing pockets of high-risk patients, as deemed by the CDC, days to weeks right before um, the confirmed case would pop up in that area. The first time we saw it was in Washington state. And, and when we saw that, we, I, we thought it was like an anomaly, you know, like, okay, this is just a one-time thing. Coincidence. And we saw it again and again, Florida, Alabama, Tennessee, Arizona It happened across 12, 14 different uh, states where we're seeing it right before the confirmed case happened. At this point, it's so widespread that the hotspotting is no longer as valuable because So many people ultimately have it, unfortunately. But it's led to uh, quite a bit of interest from uh, commercial, like basically governments as well as um, insurance companies who want to say, okay, I have a population that is really struggling to understand what to do during this very, this is truly almost like a -a once-in-a-lifetime event, right? This hasn't happened arguably since the 1918 flu. And the problem that's happening right now is similar to our the problem that we're solving during non-covid times which if you kind of take a quick step back it's really a supply demand mismatch problem the demand here is the patient the supply here is anything that is providing healthcare whether that be top medicine whether that be a doctor's office whether that be a hospital a bed a ventilator and during you know non-covid times the problem that we're solving is essentially that the demand side the patient doesn't truly understand What part of supply is useful for them? And a lot of that not understanding boils down to the fact that, again, they're not a doctor, right? So even if I told you the price of different MRIs, it's hard to say, should I get an MRI or not, right? It's not like you go on Amazon and you know, okay, I want to buy a shirt and it's worth 10 bucks. Well, yeah, well, a shirt means $8 worth of happiness to me, so I'm not going to buy the shirt, right? It's totally different in healthcare where it's more like a car mechanic. You got to go to the mechanic. Mechanic tells you what's wrong with your car. And then you decide whether or not you want that thing fixed. Really similar problem in healthcare. And that really drives a lot of the supply demand mismatching that I was describing where people are going to the ER when they shouldn't be. They're calling telemedicine when they shouldn't be. Now in COVID times, this problem is magnified by many orders of magnitude, right? Where the demand side You know, you see someone coughing at Whole Foods, you're all of a sudden like, oh my God, you know, this is it. Like I have it, right? The level of demand is very, very high and supply is extremely taxed. So if you look at something like telemedicine, it's being used as like a frontline triage tool at this point, which is, in my opinion, completely inappropriate because doctors should be seeing those who are really sick, not being the first phone call for the entire country. So you're seeing three-hour wait times, 300 people waiting in line for telemedicine. There should be something before that that helps people figure out, okay, well, based on the CEC guidelines, actually, I should call telemedicine, or actually, I should just self-isolate and wait. And if I self-isolate, also, in addition to that, here's what else could be going on based on Bowie's AI. And so the use of Buoy during this crisis is essentially um, the same as what it is during non COVID times, just the ramifications of it are very large. So like what we're doing with the state, for instance, is helping people understand if and when they should call telemedicine, if and when they should go to the doctor and how to do that appropriately. But more importantly, 90% of the time, they actually don't need to see anyone in person and 75% of the time they don't need to talk to anyone. And so if you're actually helping this supply demand mishap problem by h- helping empower the demand side, say, you know what? I don't necessarily need to clog up the pipe for those who are actually sick, and I'm going to make the best action for me, which is, if you think about it, if you go to the doctor now, you know, in non-COVID times, that could be a very expensive thing. And, yes, you could also have bad outcomes if you go to the wrong place, absolutely. But during COVID times, this becomes, like, very, very tangible because if you go to the doctor and you – aren't sick, but now you're have a non-zero chance of getting sick because you left your house and now you're in a facility where, you know, people who are sick are there. That's not a great thing, right? But if you are sick and you came into the doctor in, inappropriately, like without calling ahead, you could actually be increasing the risk of someone else getting infected, right? right. So uh, again, uh, sorry, this is a very long answer to your question. The opportunity to um, help like for example, the state empower their residents to understand when to go and where to go is important now because you're reducing strain on like telemedicine. But that load balancing that we're doing for telemedicine and testing will eventually be load balancing for things like this hospital is full versus this one is not, right? It becomes that kind of important as this continues to evolve. And even on the backside, as we start to come off, helping people understand you know, if I go back into the world and I start getting symptoms and the vaccine is not yet ready, what does that mean for me? What does that mean for my risk? What should I do now? Um, this is uh, uh, yeah, just a very, um, I guess, like urgent example of what we do on a day-to-day basis.
0: I'm sold. So, you know, this is profound. (laughs) What a great conversation. Uh, I only learned about this wonderful technology when the governor uh, introduced you. How did that all happen? I mean, you were, I I suppose in the proverbial right place at the right time. How did did you call the governor? Did he call you? Uh, Had you known each other before and, and, you know, how did that all come together?
2: So the, the department of um, health and human services and the command center, uh, under the Department of Health and Human Services has been really progressive for a very long time. Um, You know, Massachusetts is known for just being a standard bearer for all innovation uh, from a healthcare perspective, from a policy perspective. And so very early on, as you might have seen, Governor Baker has been talking about the merits of telemedicine during this very critical time because... You're allowing doctors to practice without physically being around people, which is protective of everybody. Um, and it was, became a natural extension to say, well, the cues for telemedicine are very long. And the problem I just highlighted is relatively, um, you know, relatively, and I wouldn't say straightforward, but it becomes, you become very aware of the problem when the weight for telemedicine is so, so great. And so if you took one step before telemedicine, you realize Having a front door to all services, including telemedicine, including testing, including hospitals, including ventilators—even you thinking about it in that way—if you had something intelligent that's set in front of that, you could really help be this intermediary between demand and supply during this very, very critical time. And so, um, that command center and Governor Baker and Secretary Sutter's um, have just been—we're uh, just so like forward thinking with, with everything, and buoy being a Boston-based company, uh, we also have um, a lot of connections in the, in the community. We're relatively, uh, I guess, well-known in our, in our domain, um, and it became like a very nice match of, this is literally what we do on a day-to-day basis, and we've been doing, responding to COVID for quite a while at this point, and this is the problem that they're looking to solve from a state perspective, and it became like a very obvious match um, so it's, it's been an incredible opportunity to help our home state. It's very emotional for our own team to just think about, you know, we're literally helping our neighbors during this very critical time. And, um, yeah, it's just very emotionally, uh, empowering.
1: Andrew, I'm just curious, you know, the local connection and the hub that Boston is and all things medical and innovation and life sciences But you mentioned a little bit about spotting trends in other states. Is your reach national? Could individuals all over the country, in theory, be using your product right
2: now? Yep. Even leading into COVID, we have about seven and a half, eight million users on Buoy, and they're all over the world Um, and across the U.S. We have about ten to fifteen percent of any given city having used or having found Buoy in the last year or so. Um, So, we've. Uh, you can use buoy for COVID anywhere, um, and the what we worked on with the state were more specific to the resources available in the state. But the opportunity to do that kind of okay, here's my bucket of risk, or here's what else might be going on is available for anyone anywhere.
0: Can Can I just ask uh, the uh... I feel like we need to introduce some possible limits of this fantastic technology. If instead uh, your application gets it wrong, uh, are there liability issues, meaning someone is having a heart attack, they went and honestly answered your answers and said, don't worry, uh, it's, it's the jitters or something. Um, you know, where, where are you exposed in this fantastic technology?
2: Yeah, Joe, and I thank you for kind of bringing up the limitations The first thing I'll say is that I think the first misconception that I always face, and especially in in my own family, you know, full of of lots, is that that we're somehow trying to go replace doctors. That is far from the truth. Um, What we're trying to do is help clinicians, whether they be PAs, nurses, or doctors, uh, practice at the top of their license. And what we're really trying to replace is the uncertainty derived from going to a search engine at a moment of illness. So we're not practicing medicine, and there's actually a very well-defined lane that we're, we sit in called a patient decision support tool, which is defined by uh, a coalition that includes the uh, Joint Commission, includes the AMA, the American Medical Association, as well as the state licensure boards that uh, license the practice of medicine in every state. And they really isolated this concept of a patient decision support tool from other uses of AI that might be helping a clinician or might be making a diagnosis directly. So everything that you see in our product is self-educational. We warn you right away that we're not a doctor, but also when we show you the results, they're described as matches, and we're just transparent with why this match showed up versus not, and we show you reasons for and against each match based on how you answered your questions. So. We're not practicing medicine. We're really uh, empowering you with information that's personalized to your, to is literally what you just told us. Um, so, from a liability perspective, you know we're not we're not licensed. We're not um, telling you that you do or do not have anything. We're helping you kind of narrow down the possibilities in a self-educational way. Now, that being said, uh, the fear that um, that you described—someone is having a heart attack. They use buoy. the matches that are, they're shown are not consistent with a heart attack. That is a fear that we've had since day one. Uh, you know, me as a clinician, we thought about, You know, we've been worried about this forever. And so we have fail safes built into buoy. For instance, if you come in and you say that you have crushing chest pain, or any symptom that is like literally dangerous, uh, we just completely exit the program because that is just not a, re- a, a use that a computer program should be involved in whatsoever. So if you come in and you say I have crushed chest pain or you're thinking about committing suicide or anything of that nature, we just immediately exit the program and say, you should call 911 to get help immediately. And so there are kind of these fail safes built into the program to make sure that we, um, treat people appropriately
0: well indeed i think as you said earlier buoy health is the best way to get better so uh we're coming up on our 30 minute hard stop and i promised to only keep andrew for 30 minutes so thank you very much this has been a terrific conversation i think we've learned a lot about how buoy health can help the entire healthcare system from the patient to the doctor to the hospital Uh, i think this is a revolution and i'm excited to have had you on the show this innovation is going to make the system better long after COVID-19 and the coronavirus are behind us. So uh, thank you for your lasting impact on the healthcare system uh, and for providing some silver lining to what is otherwise a fairly dismal outlook.
2: Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Josh. Really appreciate you having me.
0: Well, Josh, I thought that was fantastic. I, I loved talking with Andrew and learning more about Buoy Health. Uh, it had everything going for it. We're talking about healthcare innovation in, from the private sector. We've got efficiency that brings benefits to patients, doctors, the healthcare system. It's win, 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 win. Uh, I think this is a, a great uh, story for Pioneer and your work. Uh, how does this dovetail with your research now?
1: Yeah, you know, I think what I found so fascinating, Joe, was he's really putting a fine point on what patient-centered care can look like and removing some of those barriers while helping the entire healthcare system in the process. So not only helping the patient but the system. You know what? What was interesting, and before our conversation, I wanted to dig into a little bit about in Massachusetts, what does it look like for avoidable emergency room visits here? Because we have some data there. So. Stepping back, overall, we spend over $60 billion a year in the Commonwealth on healthcare. And we know that roughly a million visits or 40% of emergency room visits are for avoidable things in Massachusetts right now. I mean, for common things, rashes, acid reflux, dental pain, allergies, things that we know could be easily handled somewhere else. And when you look at it from just a cost perspective, $2,000 on average when you show up to the emergency room versus maybe $175 to go to a primary care doctor. There's real life ramifications here for patients' wallets or even taxpayers if somebody's on a public program. So I think what's really exciting about Buoy is they're one of the tools that we should have in our toolbox to be able to explore opportunities to help patients. And the research at Pioneer for years has really tried to dig into what does telehealth look like? What does convenience care clinics look like? How do we change regulations around what providers can see you and what they can do for you when you see them? Buoy sits on the front end of that potentially, but really there's a whole chain in which how we interact with the healthcare system that we're, we're talking about here.
0: Yes, the themes of Buoy Health hit all the right notes for me. Uh, I'm a big advocate of uh, discovering efficiencies in a very complex system, but what this does is it aligns incentives. Uh, Every sick person uh, wants the right amount of healthcare. No one wants to show up at the emergency room unnecessarily. Neither do they want to risk uh, staying home when they really do need a doctor's help. Um, This buoy Health is a way for us to understand which door we need to knock on when we're sick. I have to believe the doctors in the system are also excited about this Buoy Health. Uh, As Andrew said, they're practicing at the top of their license. So they're seeing the people that uh, they need to be seen, and those people with the jam fingers uh, can remain home and safe and not worry about getting infected at the hospital.
1: What I also found fascinating was just the private-public partnership that we're seeing emerge in this moment of COVID-19 and coronavirus in Massachusetts. And I really hope that the governor and the legislature take that to heart as they're uh, looking for responses to make sure what is the public res- responsibility to remove some of these barriers so companies like Buoy and others can really step into this space. How do we allow more innovative care models to emerge? Because there are those very real barriers. We don't talk about them. They're not overly sexy, but those are that's where the rubber hits the road of how the patient interacts with the healthcare system. Things like scope of practice and determination of need. All these things that most patients have never even heard of, but have real life ramifications for patients. And I think there's an opportunity here to revisit those uh, once we're on the back end, hopefully, uh, of this epidemic.
0: Yes, indeed. I hope the back end of the COVID-19 virus is going to be soon. Uh, But until then, we're going to use this podcast as a way to showcase exciting technologies like buoy Health and others in other areas of uh, the Pioneer research scope. Those include transportation, education, and public policy. So if you enjoyed this show, uh, please let us know. My email is hubwonk at pioneerinstitute.org. I hope you'll give this show a five-star rating. I hope you'll consider supporting Pioneer and its work. So thank you very much. I hope you'll join us in future episodes. I'm Joe Salvaggi and this has been the Hubwonk from Pioneer Institute.